0: Well, we're in a series in the book of Mark, and uh, just a little review. We've said that the book of Mark is the first gospel that was ever written down. So about 60 or 70 AD, uh, before that, there were just sort of oral traditions and written fragments of the life of Jesus. But 60 or 70 AD, uh, Mark sits down to write an account of Jesus' life. Now, before that, there were uh, generations of people that knew Jesus, and so it was hard to make things up about him. Uh, But around 60 or 70 AD, uh, the original eyewitnesses began to die off. And so there became a need to actually write down an authoritative uh, 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 account of the real Jesus. And so Mark is telling us about the real Jesus. And in chapter 1, Mark has been telling us that Jesus was a healer, that he was someone who went around uh, healing diseases, casting out demons, uh, uh, making sick people well, uh, just doing the miraculous. And he continues to do that throughout chapter two. But I want to begin this morning with a question. And here, here it is. If you were living back at the time of Jesus, if you were around uh, back, you know, if you could get into the sandals of people that walked uh, in Galilee when Jesus was uh, doing his ministry, and you could bring any need to him, what would it be? Right, if you could bring any of your needs to Jesus, if you were one of these people back in Galilee, or maybe we could transport Jesus here today, uh, you know, here in our our church, what would be the one need that you would bring to Jesus? In other words, uh, what I'm asking you this morning is, as you sit here in the seat this morning, what is your perceived most critical need? What would you bring to Jesus urgently? Now, maybe it's financial. Maybe you're here and, and what you really need is money. Maybe you're, you don't have a job or maybe you've lost a job and, and you're just struggling to pay the bills. And maybe that's what you'd come to Jesus for. You'd be asking him for money, for, for enough financial resources to get by. Or maybe your most critical need is physical. <clears throat> maybe like many of the people in Jesus' day, you are struggling with physical illness. Maybe it's cancer, maybe it's a chronic disease, Uh, Maybe it's something that you struggle with, or maybe a loved one struggles with, and that would be your most critical need. That's the thing that comes to your mind whenever you pray. That would be the thing that you bring to Jesus. Or maybe it's vocational. Maybe you don't like your job. Maybe you hate your job, and you find yourself stuck, and you're there day by day, uh, uh, day in, day out, and you're stuck. And maybe that's the thing that you're always thinking about. That's your most critical need. So if you could diagnose your life this morning and think about what is it that I would bring to Jesus? What is my most urgent problem? What would that be? Maybe bring it into your mind. Now this morning, the reason why I bring that up is this morning, there's a man who comes to Jesus with what he believes is his most critical need. Uh, You know, he's ill, and so he comes to Jesus with this need that he's been struggling with for years and years and years, and it's, it's the most urgent thing in his life. And so he comes to Jesus asking for healing. But what Jesus does in our story is he brings this man deeper. He wants to show this man that actually he's got a more critical need. And so this morning, we're going to look at three things. Number one, we're going to look at, number one, what is our most critical need? And number two, we're going to see Jesus' ability to meet that need. And then finally, Jesus' willingness to do it. And so our most critical need, the fact that Jesus has what it takes to meet it, and then finally that he actually wants to take care of it. Three things. And so number one, uh, what is our most urgent problem? What is our most critical need? This is uh, the beginning of chapter two. Let me just get into the story here. It says, now when he returned to Capernaum, after some days it was reported that he was in a home. And many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. And so Jesus has just gotten back from his tour around the the Galilee area. He's been healing and teaching and preaching and doing all these things. And now he's back in Capernaum. And almost certainly uh, 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 Jesus is at Simon Peter and Andrew's house, uh, which was his home base uh, during the few years that he was in the public eye. And so there he is at home base, uh, finally makes it back to Capernaum, but as soon as he gets back, word spreads like wildfire around Capernaum. And people just bombard the house. They, they go into this house, and so that it is just absolutely crammed with people. There is standing room only. There are people hanging on the windows, people spilling out the door. Uh, the place is just absolutely packed. And Jesus sits down and begins to teach the word to them. He begins, he begins to preach. And where our story picks up, there are four men, it says in verse 3, four men that bring to him a paraplegic or paralytic. And they got close to the house, and it says, when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him, and when they made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And so here are these men, you know, they've got this friend, and they're taking this, this friend to Jesus to be healed. He's a paralytic. And I thought to myself, what a beautiful picture of friendship. What is friendship? Here's a definition. Taking a person to Jesus to be healed. The willingness to carry somebody towards healing. And so here are these four friends. They're taking uh, this man to Jesus to be healed. When they get to the house, they're let down because the place is packed and they can't get in. And they're about ready to turn back and just go home, very disappointed. But there's one man, I imagine, who maybe is an engineer at Future Fuel. And he gets—he kind of sizes up the house. He looks at the roof and he starts to make some calculations. And he—he he gets a devious look on his face. And he turns and he looks at his friends, and they all get the picture. And so they get their friend. They carry him up to the roof of this house. Now, a uh, house in Capernaum. They had a—you a, a, know—usually stairs or a ladder that would go up to a flat roof. And the flat roof, uh, usually they would sit up there for. Um, you know, take, take a nap during the day or just to relax or whatever, but you could go up there and sit. And so they bring this man up, and the roofs in those days were made out of beams, mud, straw, and hay, about three, three to four inches thick. And these men begin to slowly dig through the roof until they make a small hole. Now, meanwhile, Jesus is down below, and he's there in the house preaching to the people, and you could imagine the scene. You know, dirt begins to fall from the ceiling, And pretty soon, you know, they see fingers pulling apart the roof. Sunlight floods into the room. And everything stops and everybody looks up. Now, I want you to imagine the chutzpah and the shameless audacity of these men. And I can imagine everybody in the room is just kind of shocked. Like the, the, you know, Simon and Andrew are shocked. Like, oh my gosh, this is our house. What are we going to do? you know, and the, and the religious leaders are, oh, this is so improper, what's going on? And everybody's shocked. Everybody can't believe it, but here is Jesus, I imagine, gets a smile on his face. Because if you know anything about the Gospels, Jesus loves this stuff, right? The apathetic, Jesus lets them walk away. But when somebody is willing to break into a dinner party to get close to him, when a person is willing to dig through a roof When a person is willing to climb up a tree just to get a glimpse of him. When someone's willing to break through a crowd just to touch the hem of his garment. Jesus loves this stuff. And notice in the text, Jesus calls this faith. And so what is faith? Faith is the chutzpah. Faith is the shameless audacity to bring your desperate need to Jesus. That's all it is. And maybe you're here this morning, and all you're doing is coming to church, bringing your need to Jesus. Jesus calls this faith. Will you you bring your desperate need to him? And so here they, they bring this man, he's being lowered down right before Jesus, and here we get the first shock in the story. Jesus looks down at this man, and he says something unexpected. Now you might think that Jesus might look at this man and say, well, Wow, they've gone through all this trouble. They uh, they have lots of faith. They have an urgent need. Son, rise up your bed and walk. I mean, this is what you're expecting him to say. But Jesus doesn't say that. Notice he looks down at this man, and he says, My son, your sins are forgiven. Now, I imagine this this man probably kind of looked around and thought, Your sins are forgiven? Listen, uh, Spiritual experience, that's all good and well, but Jesus, don't you see I've got a more urgent need here? (laughs) Right? We, We went through all this trouble. I can't walk. Anybody with eyes in his head can see that I've got a more important problem. I've got a more critical need to which Jesus would say, no, you don't. You see, in looking at this man, this paraplegic, and not saying rise up and walk, but saying your sins are forgiven, Jesus is saying that you've got a deeper need than any physical need. He's saying you've got a deeper problem than any physical or circumstantial problem in your life. The thing that is most crippling you as a human being is something called sin. This is your deepest need. Now, I know that people in our culture, they think, uh, what? Sin? You know, sin has sort of a, an image problem in our culture. You know, we look at sin as sort of this uh, kind of pleasurable naughtiness. You know, in our modern culture, things like sin and guilt are a relic from the past. You know, we, th- we call, uh, you know, delicious desserts sinful, right? We, uh, you know, you can, we have sin taxes, and you go to Sin City to have fun. With the way we view sin is almost like something that is, it's, look, you wouldn't do it in front of your grandma, but it's really not big of a deal, really. And Jesus says, no, the thing that most cripples you as a human being is something called sin. In other words, Jesus is saying, your deepest problem is not physical, but spiritual. Now, Jesus isn't saying that he doesn't care about our physical needs. And, you know, as you look through the gospel, it's clear that Jesus does. I mean, he's all about holistic ministry. He cares about body and soul. And he heals many diseases all the time. and so Jesus does care about your uh, you know your your illness, he does care about your finances. He does care about your circumstances. but he says, although I care about all of those things, I know that you've got a deeper, more critical need. My son, your sin, your sin needs to be forgiven. Now this man probably thought to himself all of his life, if I could only walk, then I'd be happy. Right? If I could only walk, then I'd be happy. But let me ask you all a question. You walk. Are you happy? Right? You you can walk like this man can't, but are you happy? What is it that makes us most miserable in life? I want to suggest that it's not your circumstances, but the way you respond to your circumstances. It's not so much the bad marriage, but the bitterness and discontent in your bad marriage. It's not so much, much the horrible job, but the anger and the, and, the, and the laziness in your horrible job. It's not so much, you know, your sickness, but the way you respond to it. Jesus is saying you've got a deeper need. I was, uh, a lot of times what I do is I listen to sermons online. And there's this one church back in California, it's called Pacific Crossroads, and I listen to sermons online all the time. And, and one of my favorite preachers there, his name is Jeremy Weiss. And Jeremy Weiss is a, his sermons are so wise, and they're so insightful, and he's got, he exudes such joy when he preaches. And uh, the other week I went online and I found that they actually uh, started videoing the sermons. And so I got all excited, I showed Christian and I, I went, the first thing I did is I went to Jeremy Weiss, and I wanted to watch Jeremy preach. And when the screen went on, I was shocked to find that Jeremy was in a wheelchair. And I thought to myself, here's a man that exudes joy more than I could than I probably have ever seen in a preacher. And he's got wisdom and insight, and he's probably more whole than most of the people that he speaks to who, gets up, who get up and walk out of the church in the morning. You see, what is it that most cripples you as a human being? And don't you know that being whole has very little to do with whether you can walk or not? Or how much money you've got? Or what kind of job you have? You see, there's a deeper issue. Jesus is pressing us deeper here. And he's pressing the man deeper here. And he says, look, I want you to see that there are issues in your life. I want you to recognize that there are things going on underneath the surface related to sin, related to the way you're responding to your circumstances, and that is the problem. That's the most critical need that you've got to deal with. The Bible uses uh, you know, real strong metaphors to talk about sin. It says that sin is a debt you can't repay. And the harder you, you try to even the ledger, the deeper you fall into the red. It says that sin is a weight, a weight or a burden that weighs you down. Sin is a disease that cripples you and distorts you. Sin is a tear in a fabric that threatens to unravel that which is what you hold most dear. And Jesus says this is the thing. What is the sin in your life? What is the brokenness that you've put to the back burner that Jesus wants you to put right front and center? This is your most critical need. I want you to see another thing in this story. It's not only that our most critical need is sin, that's what Jesus is trying to get us to see here, but I also want you to see that Jesus is able, Jesus has the ability to meet our most critical need. What Jesus is saying here is he's saying, look, uh, you've got a deep need here, but I want you to know that I have the ability to take care of it. And Jesus does two things in order to take care of our deepest need, the this, this sin problem that we have. Number one, he gives us forgiveness. And this is one of the main points of the story, is that, the man, that Jesus looks at the man and he says, my son, your sins are forgiven. Now, notice in verse 6, Jesus gets in trouble for saying this. It says, now some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And so Jesus looks at this man, and he makes the audacious, audacious audacious, claim that he has the ability to forgive this man's sin. And of course, the Pharisees are angry about this. The scribes are upset. Why? It's because in claiming to forgive our sins, Jesus is claiming to be none other than, than God himself. And people often say, you know, how, where, when did Jesus ever claim to be God? Well, here's one of the times where he claimed to be deity. He looked at a man and said, your sins are forgiven. Now, imagine if, uh, you know, if, if last week, uh, Christian Baxter ran down the stairs of the office, burst into Lucas Hattenberger's office, and punched him in the nose, and blood spurred everywhere. You don't have to imagine that. That actually happened last week. No, I'm just kidding. It didn't. It didn't. Imagine if, if Christian ran down there and just punched Lucas in the nose, blood spatters everywhere. And then I run down as the pastor, and I look at Christian and say, Christian, don't worry, I forgive you. You'd say, Christian would say, Brent, that's awful generous of you, but uh, you can't do that. I didn't do anything wrong to you. Only Lucas can forgive me because I punched him. My sin was against him. And when Jesus says, my son, your sins are forgiven, what he's saying to this man is all of your sins have ultimately been against me. In other words, he's saying, I am, I am the creator. I am the one who made you. I am the one, through all of your life, you've been sinning against. Your problem is with me, and my son, I forgive you. He gives this man forgiveness. He lets him off the hook. And this is an incredible power. I don't know if, you, you've ever been, if you've ever suffered from guilt before. If you've ever done something wrong and, and maybe it's something in the past and you can't go back and change it, you've done it, you know it's stupid, and yet you live your life, you, you can't go back and change it and so you live your life with guilt. Have you ever just been stuck in guilt? And have you ever just experienced how incredibly hard it is to get rid of that? And Jesus says there's a reason why it's hard. There's only one person who can rid you of guilt, and it's God himself, and that's me. I was watching a movie uh, last week called The Changeling. Anybody seen The Changeling? And um, I'm gonna give it away. I'm gonna spoil this, I'm sorry, but it's like seven years old. So if you haven't seen it, it's on you, not me, okay? (laughs) It's based on a true story, and it's about murders in California, starring Angelina Jolie, And uh, what happened was, in California, there was a murderer called the chicken coop murderer. And he was this horrible man who would uh, kidnap children, abuse them, put them in a chicken coop, and then murder them. And he murdered some odd 20 kids. Well, but he had this little nephew that he brought along with him. And he abused this little boy, and he made this little boy take part in his killings. And so this poor little boy actually murdered other children. And at one point, he goes to Angelina Jolie, it's a great scene, and he confesses, "I've, I've murdered these kids, and I think one of them might be yours, and oh no, it's terrible. And he goes into the police department, and he confesses to the police, and the police are just so angry and furious that he takes his child out to where this man's farm was and says, show me where the kids are buried. And so the kid, you know, takes a shovel, and he goes out to the dirt, and he starts to dig, and he digs the hole until he starts to get a little bit deeper, and he starts to uncover bodies. And before he fully uncovers the first one, the kid drops to his knees and he starts crying and he says, what do I do, what do I do, what do I do? What do I do? And the policeman doesn't know what to do. He goes over to the kid and he he starts patting him on the back, but honestly, the policeman didn't know what to do. Because what do you do with a kid who's murdered people? He can't go back and change it. Is there anyone to take away the human stain? And Jesus says, I have the authority to forgive your sins. And some of you need to hear that this morning. Because you cannot go back and change the past. And you're guilty. You've done something you know is wrong. And the good news this morning is that Jesus Christ is not just a good example that for you to follow. Jesus didn't just come into the world and say, hey, look, here's a perfect life. You try to live it. Jesus comes into the world to forgive you of your stain. He came into the world to forgive you of the guilt. And to make you clean. And so he offers this man forgiveness. He says, son, your sins are forgiven. I've got the authority. I alone have the power. I am God and I can give you this pronouncement right now. Your slate can be clean. But second of all, he not only gives him forgiveness, he also gives this man healing. He heals this man's sin. And what I love this is why we, uh, we, we connected the other story about uh, the tax collector, Matthew, who is called. At the very end of that little verse there, there's this great little uh, verse in red. These are the words of Jesus. Verse 17, Jesus says this. Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. And I came not to call the righteous, But sinners. In other words, Jesus says, look, I'm here to forgive you, but he also says, I'm a physician. And I've always been amazed at physicians. You know, if you're a physician here this morning, I'm amazed at you. Because physicians have the ability to to fix diseases, to go in and change the things that are wrong with your body. And physicians can do miraculous things. And here Jesus claims to be the great physician, And he can change your heart. And he can heal your sin. And so here's the second thing. Number one, our our deepest problem is sin. Number two, Jesus claims to be able to take care of that. He forgives us, he heals us. He can take away your your sin and your brokenness. But then finally, Jesus actually claims that he wants to do this. Finally, I want you to see in in the passage that Jesus Christ is not only willing to forgive you, and to heal you, but that this is something Jesus Christ really wants to do. I don't know if you've noticed in the story, but when the man comes to Jesus, he doesn't ask for forgiveness. Jesus offers forgiveness before this man even asks for it. And that must mean that when Jesus peered into this man's heart, when he looked inside, he saw just an inkling of this man's understanding of his own need. And maybe just an inkling, just a little little piece there that he wanted forgiveness. And Jesus jumps on it. He goes for it. His grace initiates. And he he offers this man forgiveness. And he offers it in such a free way that he actually gets in trouble for it. And so later on, you see that the Pharisees get mad. Uh, You know, he actually uh, extends forgiveness to Matthew, the tax collector, who's this you know, great sinner and uh, the Pharisees get mad. What do you mean you're eating with this man? You can't offer this man forgiveness. And Jesus says, yes, I can. You see, he, he wants to. He desires to offer forgiveness. He wants to give you forgiveness more than you want to even ask for it. This is his delight to do. He doesn't do it begrudgingly. Uh, he doesn't do it like the school teacher who says, hey, look, you want forgiveness? Come and beg for it. You know, maybe I'll give it to you. He says, no, 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 I want to forgive you. I want to make you right. I want to make you clean more than you even want it yourself. And he offers this man forgiveness. Now notice at the very end here, he asked a question, and this is sort of a riddle. He says in verse 8, he says, immediately Jesus perceiving in his spirit that they questioned within themselves, he said to them, why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise, take up your bed and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the, to the paralytic, Rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose, and he immediately picked up his bed, and he went home before them all, so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, We never saw anything like this before. So Jesus gives this riddle and he asks the question. He says, Look, look, I, I want to give forgiveness, and I've offered this man forgiveness. But which is easier? to say your sins are forgiven or rise, take up your bed and walk? And it's a good question, isn't it, right, class? What, what, What is the answer to that question? Is it easier for Jesus to say your sins are forgiven or to say rise, take up your bed and walk? Now, on the one hand, to say rise, take up your bed and walk, of course, is harder, right? Because there's proof right there. You know that he can do it if the man gets up and walks. Of course, that's harder, but when you think about it, what Jesus is trying to say, that when you look under the surface, actually, to say your, for, your sins are forgiven are much, much harder. And when you look at the passage, th- Jesus actually gets himself in deep trouble for saying, my son, you are, your sins are forgiven. He's putting himself in the place of God. And we see that at the very end of chapter 2, at the beginning of chapter 3, it says that because Jesus did this, the Pharisees go to the Herodians, the Romans, and they begin to plot to destroy him. So in other words, in order for Jesus to say to this man, your sins are forgiven, Jesus himself has to be put to death. In order for Jesus to to make this claim and to do this forgiveness of sins, he has to As a consequence, get himself in trouble with the Romans and the Jews, which eventually end up in his crucifixion. In other words, in order for Jesus to forgive sins, he's got to be crucified. And so which is harder? To say, hey, rise, take up your bed and walk, or your sins are forgiven. Jesus says, if I'm going to forgive your sins, they're going to nail me to a cross. And all the sins of the world are going to be placed upon me. And all the brokenness and all the transgressions and all the disobedience are going to be laid upon me as I am nailed there on the cross, suffering and dying. But I'm doing it in your place. You can be healed because I'm being made to be sick. And you can be forgiven because I am becoming sin for you. It is much harder for me to say your sins are forgiven. It cost Jesus everything. But notice he was willing to do this. He was willing to do it for you. You know, Jesus wants to forgive you so much that he was willing to go to the cross in order to make that happen. So, we're done with the passage here, but I want to ask you a final question, and here it is. I want to kind of revisit the question at the beginning. What is your most critical need? As you sit here this morning, you've come here, and, and, and you know, what is the thing in your life that is your greatest problem? And I want you to go deeper now at the very end of the sermon here. I want you just to just think in your mind. Think of, you know, okay, what's really wrong with me? Is it really my marriage or is it the way I'm responding to that? Is it really my job or is it the way I'm responding to that? Is it really my suffering or do I have a deeper me- need? Is there a sin in my life? Is there an area of brokenness that actually is more of a problem? And you say, well, I can't think of what that might be. Well, ask your husband <laughs> or your wife sitting next to you, because they can see it really well. And listen, they can't change it, but Jesus can. Do you want to be made whole? Do you know that Jesus Christ has the power to go deep in your life and to change what no mere human being can? He can loose you from that addiction. He can heal you from that unforgiveness, he can, he can take care of that bitterness. He can forgive you and he can heal you. He's got the authority on earth to forgive and to heal sin. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for uh, this passage and story about a man who comes to you for, for uh, healing. You offer forgiveness. And God, this morning, all of us come in here with needs. We know that you care about them. Lord, you care about our bodies as well as our souls. You care about our circumstances as well as our sin. But Lord, our sin is something we, we don't have the power to deal with that. Only you do. And so this morning as we bring our sin and our brokenness to you, whatever that might be, we ask God that you would forgive us. Lord, we, we confess our sins. We thank you that you are faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. And God, we pray that you would Heal the brokenness, Lord. I pray that you would go deep in our lives and heal the things that we can't change. I pray that we would be assured of your forgiveness and your pardon, that we would know this morning, Lord, that wonderful word when you say, my son, my daughter, your sins are forgiven. There are some in this room who really need to hear that. Lord, they've done something that, that surprised them, Lord, but you're not surprised. And you are here this morning with the authority and the willingness to offer forgiveness. We pray that you would, in Jesus' name, amen.